Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. Hey friends, Dr. Hans here, the Investing Tutor, and I have an incredible crypto episode for you today. Joining us on the podcast is Chris Latfabadi. He's a crypto enthusiast who's one of the members of my programs. And oh my gosh, Chris is such a wealth of knowledge. And I wanted to have him on the podcast for us to discuss Bitcoin, Ethereum, the crypto industry universe, NFTs. I mean, there's a lot that we're going to be touching on today. So if you are curious about Bitcoin cryptocurrency, this is absolutely the episode for you. So you all, without further ado, help me welcome Chris. Chris, welcome. Hello, Dr. Hans. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everyone who's listening. So Chris, uh, before we dive in, how did you come to find out about uh, me, you know, the investing tutor, what I do, and and then eventually becoming a part of my community? Sure. Um, So it was around the start of the crash uh, in 2020. So just this past March, um, everyone's stock markets tanked. And for the first time, I looked at my 401k, which I should have done probably before. And then I see it just going all the way to the ground and I didn't know what to do. So I freaked out, called my dad and he says, Chris, don't do anything with it. Just write it out. And so I said, okay. And then I went home that day and I was like, I got to learn what the hell my retirement money is doing. Right. I, I just know I got a job, just came out of school. I'm a PA, making some pretty good money. I just know that, you know, my 401k is about is tanking. And that's began my journey to figure out, okay, what is my retirement? What am I doing as a you know early 30-year-old to ensure my wealth when I retire? And then more importantly, the wealth for my future family, because I had a kid on the way. Uh, no, she's she was already one by then. So anyways, I stumbled across you on uh, Instagram. And so here I am looking at some of your information that you're sharing. And you amongst uh, other people, I, I started to follow. And here I am looking at this gentleman who I'm talking to now, which is wild. Um, you know, you came from Ghana, you come all the way to the United States, you become a farm D. So you become a doctor. And then you said, I'm going to change my life and start doing something. So I'm making really good generational wealth. And I'm looking at myself and going, this guy hustled all the way from Ghana, got a few opportunities, grabbed those opportunities by the horns, studied hours and hours, read hours and hours. What the hell am I doing? Right? Here I am freaking out about us. I said, I got to follow this guy. Right? So you, amongst other people, I started following and I started diving into it really, really just head first. And that's in the middle of the lockdown. So here I am starting to learn a lot about my 401k, retirement, what it means to build kind of wealth for retirement. And then that's about the time I started looking at your programs. You started becoming, you know, kind of a mentor and started offering these programs. I started listening. I read some more books. I read some books that you started to um, uh, uh, recommend. And so I started getting hooked. I was like, man, this guy, he's a wealth of knowledge. 
right? And then from there, I kind of morphed into, you know, if he can do it, I I gotta I gotta be able to do a fraction of his work, right? Because if I can if I can learn like he learned, I'm gonna be set just like Dr. Hans, just like all these other people on Instagram. Instagram's like an amazing resource to see kind of the work ethic in some of these really successful people. And it was just very easy to see that Dr. Hans is among one of them. I was like, I'm going to follow this guy. So that's how I stumbled across you is thanks to the pandemic, my 401k tanked. And I said, I got to figure out what the hell is going on. So then I, then the rest is history because then after that, I started getting into crypto uh, alongside while I was, you know, taking some of your programs. Mm. So let's dive into uh, crypto. How did you find out about crypto? And, and, and then let's dive in specifically into Bitcoin. You know, sure. And I'm sure you understand, you know, crypto is a huge industry, right? So let's start out with how did you find out about crypto? And, and then what, how did you decide on honing in or focusing, if you have, on certain mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies? Sure. Uh, so my first exposure, and this is kind of like a lot of people's stories as I've started to kind of reach out in the Twitter sphere and talk to other people. My first exposure was in 2017, right around December when it was going parabolic. That number was going up and up and up and up. And in December 2017, I said, wow, it must be easy to make money. So I took what little money I had saved up and threw it right in there. I said, you know what? Everyone's making money. So will I. So if you look at the very tip top, of 2017, January 2018, that's when Chris bought in. And then it just went straight down. (laughs) So for the next like year and a half, all I saw was my money disappear. And so that was my first exposure. Fast forward to the pandemic, and I'm starting to do a lot of research about macroeconomics and investing. And then this crypto thing pops up again. And there's a lot of talk about Bitcoin. And I start to see, um, I start to see some channels where, oh, I want to say it was Andreas uh, Antonopoulos, I think I stumbled across. Yes. And when when I listened to some of his beginner podcasts about what is crypto I uh, or Bitcoin specifically, I just wanted to find out what the hell did I lose my money to, right? And why is this guy so obsessed about it? And so when I slowly dipped my toe into the kind of learning about what I invested in 2017, I very quickly discovered a whole new world of what is money? Why is this Bitcoin important in my life? Why is it going to be important to the entire world? And then from there, just like a lot of other people, you fall down this rabbit hole, so to speak, and you start to learn more and more. And the more curious you are about it, the more and more you start to become obsessed about seeing like, for example, for me, I'm always telling all my friends, I'm like, this is going to be the future. I mean, like, forget the price. The price is going to be up, but this is going to be here forever. You are, we are living through something like discovering the internet, but for finances. And so I think that was, I think that was around the, the first time I experienced it. it was 2017, but really got into it in 2020, thanks to the pandemic and me obsessively trying to figure out how to save my, my generational wealth. Yeah. Um, to your point, this is literally like the invention of the internet, but for money, right? Or the way that I like to say it is that Bitcoin, right? Or cryptocurrencies are the native currencies used on the internet, or they will become the native currencies used on the internet. So, but most individuals don't understand, right? 
what's happening, this transition to uh, a Bitcoin standard, if you will. Sure, so sure. Talk us through at a high level and in, you know, in bytes, because it could be a lot of information. It certainly can. Absolutely. It, it really can. I mean, I've spent right now um, studying crypt- crypto probably, oh my gosh, maybe over over a hundred hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, because I got in 2017 as well, but mine was earlier 2017. Well, around give and take September or so. So I wrote it up from like 10K to 20K and then it went down. And then we went into a crypto winter, which later in the podcast will explain so individuals understand the halving cycles. Yeah, yeah. Because that's super important. Um, but yeah, let's let's go back. Walk us through. What did you come to understand about money, and and how does Bitcoin fit into this? You know, um, into the narrative of of becoming the best version of money that we've ever had. Sure. So, like, if if I was trying to tell someone who's never heard of crypto or Bitcoin at all. And they say, Chris, what, what is this? And I would just tell them, look, it's like you said, it's money of the internet. And then that should then drive the next question, which is what is money? And I listened to your, uh, you know, I'm part of that, uh, uh, that class that you have. And you had that one lecture about what is money. And it's really important for the person you're talking to. You're trying to convey what is money? And for the history of humanity, money has been different things for different people at different times. Back in caveman days, we were trading, you know, glass beads and stones and writing on sticks and, you know, chiseling in stone to, to, to denote value, right? That I owe this person this much money or the transaction has been made. Essentially, you know, if you try and take it at its first principles, you have to answer the question, what is money? before you can understand why Bitcoin is also money. And in this digital age, it fits right in. So money is essentially, in in the simplest of terms, I guess, is, is a way we communicate value from one human being to another, right? If I want something from Dr. Hans, and it's not a straight barter, meaning I trade something for something else, then I'm most likely going to be trading in the form of some abstraction uh, in the form of money. Hey, Dr. Hans, I will give you $20 for the book that you wrote, right? Those $20, you can't do anything with it, right? You can't eat it. You can't hold it. It's You hold it in your wallet for the promise that you can use that $20 for another $20 worth of goods somewhere else. And that was the same with gold coins hundreds of years ago. And fast flash forward to today, you can also use this Bitcoin for the same thing. The only thing that's weird about this is that it's hard for people to conceptualize, wait, you're telling me this is money, but I can't physically touch it. Right. And that's like a hard hurdle for a lot of people to understand. And so you, you have to break it down to people be like, well, what is money? It's something that is, you can transfer value between one person to another and it's got to have these characteristics, right? And you've, you've got, you've got, um, certain characteristics of money that will allow it to stay through history. For example, gold, 
Um, some of the characteristics that you'll see a lot of these scholarly articles and people talk about is, you know, money is something that you can transfer value. And what makes it good money is that it's divisible. Can you divide it into pieces? A dollar can be put into a hundred pennies, right? A, you know, a gold bar is kind of tough to cut in half, but it does, you know, transfer value. If I give you a gold bar, it's going to be worth some type of value to somebody else. Is it fungible, right? Is it repeatable? If I give you this $20 or if I give you another different $20 in my, in my wallet, you know, $20 is $20. It is going to, you know, convey $20 worth of goods, meaning it's fungible. I can, it doesn't have to be a special $20 bill. Any $20 bill that's given by the bank is good, right? Is it durable? Is it going to last through weather? Is it going to last in your wallet? Is it going to last through time or is it just going to rot like a, um, like a banana would rot if I were to trade you bananas. Um, is it portable? You know, something like dollar bills is something very portable. Put in my wallet, walk around with it, right? Coins, put in my wallet, walk around with it. I can give it away. It's very easy. Gold, not so much. Big stones, glass beads can be very cumbersome. Uh, and is it scarce, right? Because if anyone can just make dollar bills, it's not a scarce asset. If anyone can make it, then that thing that you were trying to make as good money or make as a conduit to which you and I can kind of exchange value is meaningless now. If I can print $20 bills, the dollar bill means nothing now, right? <clears throat> if, I can, if I can print a million of them. So once you kind of like have someone you talk to understand what money is, it's a, it's a language in which two people communicate value to each other. Then you start to understand what is good money, right? Versus bad money. Like, uh, you know, that's why we don't barter things anymore because things expire. I can't go around, you know, holding a stack of, I don't know, bananas as currency because bananas will rot. They're just not going to last forever, right? So once you understand that and you get that understood, then you can kind of ask, well, is Bitcoin good money, Right. And then this is where this is where it really starts to open up the world, right? Because Bitcoin is a digital peer-to-peer monetary network where I do not need anyone's permission to give money or to transfer value digitally from one person to another. And that is you huge. Know, it's it is it is huge Most and in places understand yeah right? yeah in places where we have a good monetary network well let's let's go through an example here right okay chris who cares that i can you can send digital money from one person to another okay well in the united states it's very easy for someone to send me money right? i just give them my venmo account it's done but if you understand that you are not directly giving me that money. You, if I were to give Dr. Hans $20 digitally without Bitcoin, I'd have to, let's say, give it through my Bank of America app. What are the steps that it takes for me to get that money from my digital phone to his digital phone? I have to ask my phone to talk to Bank of America. Bank of America then has to withdraw my money and transfer it to your digital bank. You might have Wells Fargo, right? So now that transfer goes to Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo then puts it in your cell phone 
and and Dr. Hans now has access to the $20 that I gave him. And for a lot of people, that's instantaneous. Now, that's great when you live in a first world country where the banks, for the most part, are very trustworthy. It is not so easy for people outside of the United States where A, banking is very hard to come by, or B, getting access to your funds is extremely hard to get by. And for those people where that situation applies, Bitcoin is an alternative uh, to that oppression from financial um, restraint. And, you know, it's, it's hard for someone to really understand that until you go through it, right? And it happened with me and my family. And I, it didn't hit me until it actually happened to me in the United States, right? So I'll just give a quick little aside and kind of an example is what happened to me and so why I hold on to Bitcoin so obsessively. <clears throat> yes, please. I'm a United States American. I was born in the United States. I'm a first generation immigrant. My pops, he came from Iran. He got a job here. He set up shop. He's an entrepreneur, made, a, made good of, him, of himself. He owns a company. He makes money. It's legitimate. We pay all our taxes. My mom, she's Mexican. Eh, she's a United States citizen, but we're in Mexican down the line, right? My dad for years has been banking with a bank, right? I don't know. We'll call them Wells Fargo because it is Wells Fargo. <laughs> and for the longest time, he had a business. It was making money. You, it's like you pedal a bicycle and you make more money. The harder you pedal, the more money you make. It was very simple supply and demand. And for, for years, we were doing just fine. All of a sudden, Wells Fargo sends a letter to my dad saying, you have 30 days to close your account. We are closing your account. And not just your account, dad, but anyone with your last name. So I got cut off. My sister got cut off. My mom was getting cut off. My wife at that time, she took my last name. She was getting cut off from Wells Fargo. <laughs> and so wow. here I am, United States of America, best country of the world. Wells Fargo out of nowhere says, you got 30 days. You got to take your funds and go somewhere else. And we ask why. And we ask letters. We talk to the bank tellers. The bank tellers know us all by our first names, right? It's like we know their family, right? We've been banking with them for a long time. And then they say, well, I don't know. You have to talk to the higher-ups. So we talk to the higher-ups and they talk to their higher-ups. And you know what they said? It's in the contract. We don't have to tell you. We're, wow. we're canceling you. You get, now you have 15 days. So here I am. My dad's got a business, which has been paying for everything my family and my mom pays for. And we got to move funds. Now, thank God we can go to another bank because this is capitalism and you can just go somewhere else. But that very easily could have been some other country where you're blacklisted and all of a sudden you have no access to a bank, right? I go to Bank of America, Citibank, and they all say, nah, we're not going to hold your money. What do you do then? What do you do then? Right? So here I am seeing that for the first time. And then I run into Bitcoin in 2017. Again, I had no idea how Bitcoin worked. But now I learned about it in 2020 and I look back at my experience with Wells Fargo. And I say, man, Wells Fargo, you just created a Bitcoin maximalist. You just created someone who's never going to want to use your bank ever again. And I have options. And Bitcoin is my option in case I need it. 
And so people look at me and say, well, why Bitcoin, right? What is it about Bitcoin and this digital cryptocurrency that you've jumped to, or at least some of your funds to, uh, and not just some other bank, right? Well, with Bitcoin, it was created by an anonymous person several years ago, and it's resulted after many, many tests and attacks and upgrades, it's resulted in a monetary network that is open, borderless, neutral, censorship resistant, and private, semi-private, right? And I have the option to opt in to trade my US dollars, my hard-earned money to Bitcoin, and no one can stop me. I can put my value, my time, my hard work into a digital form that the United States, that Wells Fargo, that no one can take away from me. As long as I hold the special little password that gives me access to my Bitcoin, no one else can touch it. That's, that's what kind of most a powerful people, move. Most people don't understand that, right? Yeah. You, it is mind-blowing because... Mm-hmm. And I want to go into the topic of of banning Bitcoin so individuals understand like mm-hmm. Bitcoin is not like gold that you can break into someone's house and say, hey, you know, like I'm confiscating your gold. <laughs> you you cannot take it. If Dr. Hans, they did that in the 30s. Yes, they did that for gold. <laughs> yeah, they did that. They yeah. said, gold is illegal. We will pay you the money worth of your gold in your house, but yep. you can no longer keep it. Yep. Yeah. With Bitcoin, unless the individual is willing to tell you that 12 or 24 digit code that they mm-hmm. have, <laughs> there's no way to get access to it. And that's Zero. powerful. Like a person can literally leave, right, from the U.S. So I'm thinking about it in my head. Like, let's say I am traveling. I can go from the U.S. to Ghana. I don't need to carry money with me. Whatever my Bitcoin is worth in any country on the planet, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's borderless. Like once individuals just sit down for a moment and dive in, to truly understand Bitcoin, it's so hard not to want to like put all of your money into it. <laughs> like Chris, <laughs> like today I was looking at, and, and, and you're part of a million dollar por- portfolio program, so you'd mm-hmm. understand. I was looking at the portfolio and I'm like, man, it's taking so much effort not to sell half of my stocks and put half of it into crypto. <laughs> it's taking <laughs> so much effort. It's, you know, it, it's it's very tough. And again, you're probably at the point now where the price doesn't necessarily matter so mm-hmm. much as the power you have over your money And the matters. understanding of the shift mm-hmm. that's occurring over yeah. the next five to 10 years. And that shift, the amount of value that it's bringing to the world, and and to your point, it, it's not necessarily about price, but then 
the price is going to be reflected in the value that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency provides to the world. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, I am optimistic that Bitcoin will be providing like 10x the value that it's providing right now over the next five years. So that's my like just estimate, right? So currently, I believe globally about a hundred million people have uh, digital wallets that hold some kind of you know bitcoin or cryptocurrency well specifically mm-hmm. bitcoin a hundred million people so my estimate is over the next let's say five years at least a billion people will have access to this and the the fascinating thing is if individuals take the time to understand bitcoin like we have chris there's no reason why every single person wouldn't want to have some exposure to this, you know, digital currency. So what is it about Bitcoin that fascinates you? It's, again, I think looking back at it, now that I've learned so much about crypto, Bitcoin does one thing and one thing really effing well. And that is to be an immutable digital ledger of transactions that can never ever be changed of i guess indefinitely right it can never ever be changed the yes. way bitcoin works um, as you've learned but for all of our listeners who don't really know i mean if we could really just break it down into like an analogy it's it's a ledger it's a digital ledger and what a ledger is all it does is it just tells you know it, it just tells a list of transactions right? Who has money? And it went from point A to point B. How much went from point A to point B? And it's something, when I say immutable, that means it's unchangeable. So if the United States government or some hacker wants to try and trick the system and say, oh, um, Chris gave the hacker 100 Bitcoin, it is virtually impossible to accomplish because of some really scientific, I'm not going to dive into it, but like really, really scientific computer science and very, very difficult mathematics that ensure that no one can lie on this digital template. A, a hacker cannot just change some code and say, oh, somebody gave me a hundred thousand Bitcoin, right? There's a lot of mathematics that goes into ensuring that. And the wonderful thing about Bitcoin is that all it takes is for anyone who wants to participate in this network, you now have the ability to check that hackers work. And if that hacker is making an illegal, um, uh, transaction, something that he's lying about, no one will believe him. No one will believe that hacker, despite their best efforts to try and lie on this digital ledger. It's like taking a paper ledger and all of a sudden trying to erase, you know, one of the transactions that are made in pencil and then rewrite it with your name. The problem is you have a history ever since the very beginning of Bitcoin and you can do all the calculations up until that hacker tried to change the, 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 the ledger saying, I now have a hundred Bitcoin. And then you can look and say, no, the math doesn't add up. This person is lying. 
and we're not going to accept this. And so the world will move on. The Bitcoin universe will move on just ignoring that hacker's fake attempt to try and lie that he now owns 100 Bitcoin, right? The world will move on. And so this, this, this Bitcoin thing is, is it, it removes the hackers very easily with computer science and very difficult mathematics. And if you try your best, you expend a tremendous, tremendous amount of electrical energy yeah. to lie on the ledger. And not only that, Dr. Hans, this Bitcoin is continuous. Every 10 minutes, a new piece of information is added to the blockchain. So not only do you have to lie about this block, but you have to lie about this block forever and always. Forever and always, you have to lie about this block. And as more and more blocks, every 10 minutes, a new one gets added. It takes more and more electrical energy to lie, to make a lie. And the moment some computers who are all checking the network realize that this is a lie, they just move on to the other one, to some other, to some other um, branch or whoever was telling the truth. Everyone just listens to the ledger that was telling the truth. The hacker spent all that energy and it's wasted. So you have to just play the game. You just play the game and you just go with the rules of the game because that's the only way you can play. And with that is something powerful. No government can stop that. No person can stop that. So when you put your money into Bitcoin, you can stay safe. You can sleep. You can rest your head knowing no hacker is going to take your money. The only way they're going to take your money is they have, they have access to those special 12 or 24 key um, keychain, right? It's the, it's, that's the only way they can get it. And if you memorize those 12 words, that's it. That's it. Game over. You own your Bitcoin. No one else will get it. Unless you die and no one else knows about that, then yeah, those Bitcoin are gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Everyone else gets richer because now there's less Bitcoin and it's more valuable. Supply and demand. That is right. the thing. Now let's talk about the supply and demand. And also I want to talk about this whole concept of you knowing your keys so no one else has access to it and the risk that exchanges pose, right? Right now, we're kind of at their infancy. So for me, I don't mind holding you know, my crypto on exchanges, but I believe in all honesty, that, you know, over the next maybe year, two or three, depending on uh, the dynamics, how things change, specifically mm -hmm. with regards to the increase in value of, mm -hmm. of Bitcoin, I feel I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to want to move it to, you know, some kind of uh, uh, cold wallet. So we'll talk about that Um that shortly. So yes, Chris, let's talk about the supply, right, of Bitcoin, because most people don't understand this concept of there will only always be 21 million coins. And also for, you know, the millions of coins that individuals perhaps have forgotten their keys and um, is lost, it's further increasing the value of the remaining uh, bitcoins that are in circulation. So can mm -hmm. you explain to someone who has no idea, you know, what this 21 million bitcoins, why is it 21? 
And what does it mean when you're looking at supply and demand, considering as we speak, only about 100 million people globally have access to this currency? Well, what if a billion or two billion or three billion people have access to it? What does that do ultimately? Yeah, yeah. So when Satoshi Nakamoto, the uh, anonymous creator, created Bitcoin, um, there was uh, a debate on how many of these digital coins are we going to put in the system, right? And one of the reasons they picked an actual number is because uh, the the U.S. current the U.S. currency system we can print infinite amount of dollars. You've seen this past year and what Biden is proposing now, they are literally just printing trillions and trillions of dollars to make the economy continue. Now, think of that as you will, but that's the background of why Bitcoin has an actual cap or a number or a limit of Bitcoins. So they picked a number. I'm going to say he, right, for purposes of this conversation, he picked a number, 21 million. That is going to be the maximum amount of Bitcoins that will ever be created. And it will be dispersed over the next 100 or something years into the year 2140. Okay. And it's going to be distributed first with a lot of Bitcoins in the beginning. And then every four years, there's going to be half that are going to be distributed every 10 minutes. Obviously, the first 10 years is going to be when there's the most of the Bitcoins into the market. And the last 10 years, when just tiny, itsy, bitsy, little, teeny, weeny, thousandth of a Bitcoin is mined per 10 minutes. And what that does is that you don't have to worry about, hey, is there going to be a stimulus of Bitcoin coming in? Is there going to be an injection of Bitcoin coming into the network? No. You know exactly how much is coming into the market. So when people say, you know, price is equal to supply times the demand, right? Well, you know what the supply is coming in every day. You can just check your computer. You can ask Google, hey, how many Bitcoin are going to be created today, right? And you'll know. So the only thing that's going to affect the price is how much people want Bitcoin. So now we're at the point where people want Bitcoin, especially large institutions. And we can dive into why large institutions are diving into it now, as opposed to, you know, four years ago. But now people want it. Now PayPal wants it. Microsoft or MicroStrategy company wants it. Tesla has some, $1.5 billion. People are buying it, not with thousands of dollars, millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin right? And the properties of Bitcoin have not changed. Maybe there's some soft tweaks here and there, but the core principles have not changed. So now the public is starting to look at Bitcoin again, and they're starting to say to themselves, oh my God, had I held this for four years, I'd be making so much money. So now they're going back to places like Coinbase and Robinhood and all of these places. And they say, I want some Bitcoin again. Now, here's where the important part is, and I think you're you're starting to appreciate this too now, Dr. Hans, is that I've kind of explained the importance of owning your own Bitcoin, or at least I hope I've portrayed like it is very important to own your own Bitcoin. Yep. Right yep. now, Coinbase allows people, they're an exchange. They talk with miners. They say, hey, we will be an exchange for you, the miners, you guys who actually earn the Bitcoin by securing the network, 
totally different side conversation. But the point is they have a bunch and they will, we will connect you with buyers like Chris and Dr. Hans, right? So when I go to Coinbase and I purchase Bitcoin from Coinbase, okay, Coinbase says, here you go, Chris, here's one Bitcoin you purchased, right? But if you just keep that coin on Coinbase, who actually has control to those funds? The answer is Chris has some access, but also Coinbase has some access. What does it actually mean? It means that they actually also own the keys to accessing that amount of Bitcoin because you are keeping it in their semi-custody. It's only until you pull that Bitcoin from their wallet, from their vault, because you paid for it, and you move it somewhere else to a digital wallet of your own. Once you move it to a digital wallet that's only yours and only you have seen the password and only you know the keys, that, when that Bitcoin transfers in there, now you are the sole owner of that Bitcoin. If you lose that Bitcoin key, that Bitcoin is lost forever, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so it. That's the catch-22, right? Because we're talking cold wallets where you're taking custody of it versus, let's say, Coinbase holding it. Um, so let's let's talk about that. With regards to like cold wallets, what, what do you, in your research, what have you found to be uh, you know, a good option? So there's, there's several ways of storing your own Bitcoin right? You can Google it. There's plenty of YouTube videos. In fact, Han, Dr. Hans, if you want, I can give you a list of some things that I look at. So other people who are interested can use you as a resource to kind of understanding about wallets a little bit more, but essentially sure. a wallet, well, first of all, a wallet is a bad name. Like this is, it's not really an actual wallet that you can kind of, you know, like hold in your hand. A wallet is more actually like a keychain. It's more like a key, really. And your Bitcoin is hiding in a public locker, right? And anyone can see if they have the address to that locker, they can see how much is in there. They don't know who it owns to. They don't know who it belongs to. But they can see how much Bitcoin is in there. And it's only until someone takes it out with their little special key, which is your wallet, your special private code, your 12 digit code, then you can move it. Right. And so the nomenclature is a little funny, but we'll still, we'll stick with what everyone uses. It's a, it's a wallet. So the question is, how do I store my own Bitcoin? What are the good things? What are these wallets I keep hearing about? What is hot wallet? What is cold wallet? What is cold storage? Right? These are words that people will start to hear as they dive into trying to figure out how do I own my own Bitcoin? How do I hold it myself? And so, <clears throat> when you look at types of wallets, you just want to think of them as kind of like vaults, right? A cold wallet is a place where you stash your Bitcoin in digitally and only you have access to it, right? And the access is your own little key that was given to you when you purchase that cold wallet. You can purchase a hardware wallet. It's a, it looks like a little USB. You can go on Amazon. You can go on Ledger. You can go on Trezor. These are some 
trusted manufacturers of digital wallets, and you can purchase them. And they will come fresh from the factory, not even being seen by human eyes. And they come to you. You open it up. You look at it. You read the instructions. And you try and, f- and after reading up on a couple of YouTube videos on what it means to actually own Bitcoin, you can test this little tiny device and send some of your Bitcoin from Coinbase that you purchased it in and send it to this cute little thumb drive that you have with some software on your computer. And if you are planning on buying it and moving it from Coinbase to someplace that's never going to be touched for a long, 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 long time, you are putting it in cold storage. That's what it means. It's like you're freezing that. It's like you're cryo freezing that Bitcoin. You're not going to wake it up. You're not going to use it. You're just going to sit there. You're just going to let it sit there. There's other wallets out there, like on your mobile phone. These are digital wallets that um, are a little bit easier to access and you can quickly send money to and from places uh, specifically Bitcoin and other digital currencies with ease and very fast. And you, the difference between your mobile phone and this little thumb drive is that it takes like three or four minutes for me to actually go to my computer, hook up my thumb drive, send the Bitcoin from Coinbase to this little thumb drive, you know, and all the little steps in between. It takes some time but you know it's in there. It's cryo, it's frozen. It's never, ever going to get stolen. There's other wallets like your mobile wallet where you can send it to your mobile wallet and now it's on your mobile phone. It's nice because it's convenient and you can pay for things right off your phone. Bada bing, bada boom, right? The problem with that is you start to expose yourself a little bit to hackers, someone stealing your phone right? And they can use and transfer their your funds somewhere else. And the thing with Bitcoin is these transactions, when they happen, they are irreversible. There is no HR you can call. There's no, there's no Bitcoin help desk you can call and say, um, sorry, somebody sent, somebody took my Bitcoin. Can I have some, can I have it back? Like, good luck. <laughs> that, that doesn't exist. Right. And so if you keep your Bitcoin all in a mobile wallet, for example, you're you're a little bit more exposed. So don't have too much money on your mobile phone. You have a hundred dollars, right? You don't mind losing a hundred dollars, but don't put your 401k in there. Right. You can do it, but you better freaking have that phone on your hip at all times. Because it can get hacked. And if it can get hacked, you're in trouble. Uh, Chris. Are they coming up with some kind of cloud storage for, you know, Bitcoin? Uh, because I think, and and can can that be created without having something that's centralized that, you know, can be, for example, let's say the government wants to ban Bitcoin. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but just scenario here, right? They can go to Coinbase and if they wanted to, they can say, hey, Coinbase, you know, <laughs> we're, we're coming in just like we did in the 30s where we were coming to purchase right, everyone's <laughs> Bitcoin 
So then hand it over. Coinbase has no option. I mean, it has to follow the law. Um, at least that's my thought process. Um, so is there some kind of cloud storage for Bitcoin? And if there is, or if that was created, is it something that, you know, will be centralized or will that be decentralized? Because that would be incredibly powerful if we had a decentralized cloud storage for Bitcoin so that you don't need to even carry in quote a wallet on your phone or maybe even a physical um code yeah. wallet have you looked so, into that yeah so the short answer to that is yes they already have some of those things um you can look at i think it's called choice and i trust those are two different companies and they were built with the specific purpose of although we are companies and we are built to custody. Uh, so, so they're originally built for kind of like your IRAs, your retirement funds. They want to be able to be like your John Hancock and be part of your retirement fund, but also allow you to have Bitcoin in your IRA, right? And so this, these two, these companies, which are out there, they're set up in such a way that the answer is yes, you can, you can give them your Bitcoin and one of the software updates with up with with bitcoin that has come out you know several years back is is multisig which is short for multi signature and you can give your bitcoin to this third party and they will hold your bitcoin and you can hold your bitcoin and that bitcoin will not be moved unless certain conditions are met Meaning, if the government comes in and tries to, you know, stop that from happening or say, hey, look, this company's ours now and, you know, um, we want to own that Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin has already thought of this problem and it allows multiple participants to be responsible for the, sa for the same access to that Bitcoin without having to trust that third party. For example... Dr. Hans, let's say my wife and I, let's say my wife and I, we're married. We have some Bitcoin in our retire joint account, right? And, but we don't like to save it here, right? It's a little too, I live in a shady neighborhood, let's say, and my house gets broken into all the time. And so I don't want to keep my, my, my digital thumb drive. Well, I can send it to one of these companies and they'll hold it. And I can put on there, if Chris and Ashley both put their digital signature to withdraw that from your from your holdings it can be taken out mm. if if chris and uh and a certain amount of time has elapsed the company and chris's signature can both together sign it and chris can pull it out you can also write in there as well that just one signature one person trying to pull this out of this, you know, bank account or this, this account, you can't pull that Bitcoin out. You need two of three participants, for example, in order to withdraw that Bitcoin out. Otherwise it stays locked, right? That's one of the beautiful things that some of these software developers have come up with is because there's a lot of people who are scared 
to hold on to that little thumb drive, right? Or to memorize those 12 keys. That's a lot of responsibility if you put a big amount of money in there, right? So there are companies out there who say to themselves, we are going to hold it and your Bitcoin will be safe with us. As, and if whenever you want it, you must have two of three signatures met, either you and your wife, you, uh, you, and, you and me, the company, but there are certain conditions that can be met so that if they are not met, that Bitcoin cannot leave. It, it's, it's as good as gone, so to speak. Perfect. And only, yeah, so, so these companies are out there. And I can think of trust and iChoice, I think, are the two. Um, and that roughly is what they do. So that people who have a lot of money but are not willing to hold it in their hand with a digital wallet, right? And keep it safe and keep it secure, right? You're the only person who knows that. That's a lot of responsibility. So there are companies that are coming out now and they're already out now and they're getting good trust and get ready because they're more coming. Because I bet you, I bet you dollars to donuts, Fidelity wants to do the same thing. Bank of America wants to do the same thing. Visa wants to do the same thing. If you're, if you're in the finance world and you're a big company, you want to do that same thing. You want to hold on to that customer's Bitcoin, right? And I bet you there's going to be more of those companies out there. But the problem is you have to be able to vet that company. How trustless is this proposal? How I don't want to put my trust in that company and say, you have all the access to this Bitcoin. I want it to be that it must be you saying yes and me saying yes before that Bitcoin is leaving somewhere else. Yeah, I think it is absolutely important because just the thought, right? And that's why people have lost like $300 million worth of Bitcoin. Oh my <laughs> God. They I don't know. remember the keys or, or, you know, yeah, they they don't remember their keys. But can you imagine losing like that thumb drive that has your Bitcoin on there? I mean, that's just a scary thought. So with the internet and also with cloud computing, I just mm -hmm. feel there should be some kind of decentralized cloud platform that enables individuals to hold their Bitcoin. So I'll definitely look these two up and I'll also research. Uh, look up. Uh, look up file share. That is a decentralized file sharing crypto. Yes. So that's what they do. Mm. They say, if you want to stash some important documents, but you don't want to keep it on your computer, but you want to keep it secured in the internet, just, uh, just like Bitcoin is encrypted with this wonderful technology that makes it virtually impenetrable to steal, there is another crypto out there file share that wants to do the same thing instead of with money they do it with information right so if you have important documents uh, the deed to your house for example right that's what they that's the niche that they want to fill right mm -hmm. and so so you're going to start to see as time goes on the world is going to be giving more and more options for decentralization, not having to put your trust into a bank, not having to put your money, uh, your trust into a bank, your trust into um, anything, really. I mean, if you have to go through a third party to get something, that is a centralized system. Absolutely. Right? And Bitcoin has just opened the door and shown people, 
you can decentralize just about anything. And it's going to create a massive, massive flood of innovation. A lot of it's not going to work, but when it does work, oof, be ready because it's game changing. So Chris, in wrapping up, if someone were to ask, what's the future of Bitcoin or what's the future of cryptocurrency? And to anyone who's listening and, and they're wondering, like, I want more, I want more. Chris, I, I believe I need to have you back for us to dive into, you know, the altcoins, if you will. The oh, man, anytime. And, and, and us diving into NFTs and decentralized finance, right? There's so much <laughs> that we can cover. Yeah. Um, but for someone who is wondering, what is the future of crypto or what's the future of Bitcoin? How do you, what's your response? Very much kind of like how the internet happened, right? The future is that a lot of things are going to happen over crypto, just as much as a lot of things before the internet then transferred to the internet, right? eBay, Amazon, Facebook, all these massive innovations. Well, there's going to be just another wave of that. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but it's going to be some, it's going to be that same magnitude, but in the crypto sphere without having to trust Facebook for holding your data, right? Without having to trust banks for holding your money. So when you ask me, Chris, what is the future of crypto? My head explodes with ideas, right? My head explodes because just in the world of finance, you get to be uh, someone who can participate in your government's money or choose not to, right? If you don't like the way your bank is run, you can walk. You can move to another bank. If, if your country doesn't like you because of your political affiliation, you can change your currency. You have the option of walking out of there. It's such, it's such a profound idea. And that profound idea is going to explode over and over and over again in this cryptosphere, right? So everything is going to become digitized even more, even more. Your money is going to be yours. If you're an artist, you can put something on the decentralized web. You don't, if you're a music artist, you don't have to ask Apple to put your music out there and they take a 30% cut of your money. If you're an artist, you put that out there and anyone who listens to it can stream money to you by the second that they listen, right? These are ideas that are bubbling out there. And so the stock market it's no longer going to take two days to clear in the trading houses, in the clearance houses. It's going to happen instantaneously. That GameStop phenomenon that happened, why Robinhood shut everybody down? Because they couldn't handle the load. There was some lag time between you know, the shares and all that BS that was happening. That doesn't happen in crypto. It's instantaneous. The stock market will become digitized. Artists are going to get paid real time for however many seconds you listen to their song. You have full responsibility of your music. Hell, Dr. Hans might make a Dr. Hans coin, right? And he might get paid every time someone listens to your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's crazy. The, the, the possibilities are endless because you now don't need someone else to con help you do what you want to do. So it's, it's crazy. 
it's crazy. There's, I have so many ideas, but I know. And, and going back to the point about money being an opportunity to transfer value from one person to another, right? So now think about it as a global way, global way to transfer value, right? Some, you know, kid living in, in, in Ghana, you know, West Africa, can create an art piece and maybe digitize it and sell it to a millionaire on who lives you know close to Wall Street and that mm-hmm. individual can choose to pay for that and literally pay maybe a hundred thousand dollars like that is possible right mm-hmm. now it's like how does this multimillionaire find out about that, you know, young kid? But when you have, you know, a decentralized world where anyone can list what they have to sell, it just completely changes everything. And I don't think people even understand what's happening. <laughs> Let me just give you one more example. One Please. more. So imagine living in Ghana and you're a farmer and you are trying to plant something to make money for your family and you need a bag of seed to do it. And that seed costs some money. Let's say you don't live in the city of Ghana. You live in the rural parts of Ghana. You don't have identity. You don't have uh, any pictures uh, of government documentation, but you need some money to support your family. You live in a rural part of Africa. This happens all over the world. There's millions of people in this situation, but you do have a cell phone. Now imagine this, you need that seed so that you can make money and provide for your family. The way the system is set up now, it is virtually impossible for you to go to A, go to a bank and B, ask for a loan. They're going to ask you for your ID. Second of all, they're probably not going to give you access to a loan because they don't know who you are. They don't trust you as a bank. They don't know if they can make profit off of you. So you go to some other shady dealer and he's going to charge you a high premium for the right of to this money. I'll give you $100 for that seed, right? He says, okay, fine. I'll give you this seed. But from that $100, you owe me $180 and you're only going to make $200 worth of goods, leaving you with $20 profit. That's a racket. That poor farmer who's all he wants to do is provide for his family, has a hard time trying to buy some seed to become a farmer. Now, with that cell phone, what cryptocurrency can do is set you up with somebody in the United States, for example, who's got $100 to spend, doesn't matter. And imagine a system where this farmer has established himself as a good, reputable farmer who pays back his loans. And so instead of charging an extremely high premium, that person has generated good social credit. And someone like me can look at his name and say, you know what? I believe in that farmer. I'll give him the $100. He just has to give me $105 back. He's still going to make $200. He's going to be able to generate what? More profit for himself. And I can do that a thousand times over. For good people, hardworking individuals who don't have access but have the motivation and the drive to supply for their family, you can sit on your couch and be 
a banker for them and charge them just pennies more and they'll take it and they'll become a better person for it. They'll provide for their family and you get some money and you don't even have to wait. The system does it for you. There will be a day where that happens all on one network. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what's going to happen to those farmers, those rural people with just cell phones when they have, instead of two, $10 of profit, they now have 80, $90 of profit. What's going to happen to the world? Right? That's profound. It's profound. And let me add to the example that you've given. They'll also be able to buy crop insurance from what I learned, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Using um, uh, Chainlink. I believe Chainlink is like an Oracle network that Mm -hmm. allows people to set some kind of contracts that says, hey, if if it rains during this period of time and my crops aren't able to grow, an insurance payout is executed on the, let's call it Ethereum network. And you will talk about that, you know, in the next part two of this discussion. But imagine, so now this farmer can also go buy insurance against bad weather. And that policy will pay out and he or she didn't need to go to a bank to go get anyone's permission, they were able to buy that instantaneously from their phone. It it just, and this is like a tiny fraction <laughs> of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is profound. We have Satoshi Nakamoto and all of the people before him who have accumulated to make Bitcoin have now rung a bell that cannot be unrung. We have learned something about technology that you can like it or not, but it's going to be used. Whether good, whether for bad, it's going to be used. And it's going to be so ridiculous when Princeton grows up and he has a kid because at that time you're going to, you and I are going to be old men. We're going to be sitting on our little farms and, <laughs> and, and we're going to see the world of crypto just running everything seamlessly. And our Tesla will drive us somewhere to a nice little party or something. 100%. <laughs> I want to thank you so much. What an incredible episode. I know the listeners are going to absolutely love this. Good. I ho- if I, if I, you I, haven't I done do. this yet, yeah. right? And I know we spoke prior to hit and record and your wife views you as like, you know, super obsessive about crypto. Mm -hmm. Well, ask her for for my forgiveness for what I'm about to suggest. But (laughs) Chris, if you haven't created some kind of social media page to become, you know, a crypto educator, you have to. You absolutely have to. But if you haven't, and for the individuals who are listening, right? How do they connect with you? Um, well, so I've got I've got a small little social media page. It was my personal one. I've been on I'm I'm beaming from ear to ear just hearing you kind of suggest that. Uh, but right now people can reach me on on Instagram. It's C body, the letter C, the word body, B-O-D-Y, five two six. Right. Uh, again, I made this, I made that name way before. <laughs> I discovered about Bitcoin and uh, 
you can reach me there. You can email me. Um, you know, uh, I really don't care. Uh, cbody26 at gmail.com. Right. I, I doubt my, my email is going to be flooded with thousands of emails. So those people who are hungry enough to learn, I am, I am insatiable in teaching people this. Uh, and I think especially minorities, they're going to, they're going to leapfrog so much and, and just, just, just go light years ahead of where their parents taught them when they, when they take more lessons from Dr. Hans and learning about crypto and because this is the future. Absolutely. So when I, maybe on part two, by part two, I'll, I'll have, I'll yes. have something up. Please. <laughs> Please. And you were holding Chris to this. And once again, ask your wife for my forgiveness for pushing you to do this. <laughs> but it will it will also allow you to expend all of that knowledge beyond the home, right? So that sure. you're not the one listening to it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe she might thank me for suggesting that you go talk to clients and, you know, use this as a potential new stream of income. Because Chris, to be honest... It's all about value, right? When yeah. I share my knowledge with like you and others in the Investing Tutor community, right? You take that knowledge and it creates value, monetary value for you. In the same way, if you take this knowledge and you share it with others, and I know you are very studious because, you know, in within the Investing Tutor, the MDB, MDP page to be exact, I can just tell you are, you dive in deep. And I believe people need this level of knowledge. And let me add one more thing, Chris. Sure. You see, most of the, in quote, so-called experts out there, like crypto experts, they are unreachable by the average person. That's what makes my platform so unique. Mm -hmm. anyone mm -hmm. can dm me anyone can text me chris you know <laughs> i do man and I, you have no idea how much i appreciate just where you come from and how accessible you are yeah i want you to do the same with crypto like i'm trying to juggle the two mm -hmm. but man i would be so happy to see someone like yourself come in and just own that because for anyone listening and you can put the date and timestamp and, you know, and quote <laughs> me on this. Crypto is going to build more generational wealth than the stock market has ever done. <laughs> Period. For sure. For sure, man. The, the greatest transfer of wealth in history is coming. Yeah. And we are at the beginning stages. <laughs> Uh, man, Chris, I can't wait for part two. Of course, man. Anytime you need me, you know how to reach me. And I hope I hope I inspire some 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 new listeners, any age, wherever you come from, any background. I hope they've been inspired a little bit uh, to learn more about this. Just like I've learned. Again, I I'm a medic I'm a medical school you know person. I know all about medicine. I didn't know anything about crypto. A year later, look at me talking to you guys. Right. So I'm, I'm so happy to share anything I learn with anybody who wants to listen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure.